I hope you notice each week how our worship services are designed to fit around a particular theme. The music, the liturgy, the children's minutes, the sermons, everything about worship. It, it centers on the text. We believe that God's holy word drives our lives. It, it guides our worship. It guides our thoughts and our actions. And so we have built this service this season around some readings from the prophet Isaiah from the Old Testament. Today, we are reading from the 40th chapter, the first 11 verses. I invite you, maybe you brought your Bible or maybe you have uh, the Bible app, uh, maybe you have your Bible at home if you're watching from home, to turn to Isaiah 40. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Listen for the word of the Lord. Comfort, or comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. And a voice then cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out, and I said, What shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings, and lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. You herald of good tidings, lift it up and do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with might, and his arms rule for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. But he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead the mother sheep. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There was a young farm boy, his name was Willie, and he was pushing his cart of corn down the street, and that cart tumped over, and it went all over the street, and all over the byway, into the ditch, and his neighbor, who was also a farmer, came running to him, and he said, Hey, Willie, don't worry about that mess. We'll clean it up. We'll clean it up later. For now, just come have supper with me. And the boy said, Oh, I don't know. Dad, Dad would get upset if I did that. Oh, come on. It'll be fine. Well, I don't know. My dad, he just, he might not like it all that much. Well, the boy agreed, and he went and had a wonderful, wonderful meal with his neighbor farmer. And he thanked the host, and he said, Well, I do feel better now, but I know Dad is going to be so upset. He said, Don't be foolish, Willie. Your dad's not going to be upset. By the way, where is your dad? And he said, Well, he's under the cart. <laughs> you know, not only, friends, uh, does 2020 feel like our wagon cart full of life has turned over and strewn its contents all over the road and the byways. But for many of us, we feel like we're pinned underneath the cart waiting for help. The good news of Advent is that the sun is coming back. 
this year will end, next year will be better. For now, in this time of Advent, we wait. We anticipate, and we long, we expect, and we hope. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Jerusalem has served her term in exile. On this second Sunday of Advent, the day when the lectionary speaks into life's darkness, it does so by offering a word of hope amid exile. It, it does so, it speaks into families and friends who are distanced from one another and into chaos and into confusion and into dissension. This one message that is comfort, that, that is it will not last. Like the grass, the things of this world, even us, we will wither, we will fade, and the one thing that will last forever is the word of God, says Isaiah. And what is that word of God? Well, it's very simple. It's a word of hope, and a word of peace, and a word of joy, always. Hope and joy and peace will last. When we hear these words, comfort, comfort my people, we long for the day when grief will be met with assurance and when justice will be had for all who are oppressed, when people will be free to be who they are created to be, and when we will pause amid life's chaos just long enough, we might just hear the voice of God. And so we wait, and we long, and we expect, and we hope. The reality implied in today's reading suggests that physical strength will one day turn to frailty, that mental strength has a, a shelf life, that spiritual strength waxes and wanes with the hands that life deals us, that every form of strength in which we place our trust is, is in some way placing a form of trust in the kingdoms of this world. And, and our physical strength and our emotional strength and our mental strength and our spiritual strength are in some way measurable. But the one source of strength that is immeasurable and is timeless comes from God and God alone. The one who will help pick up the mess in the street. God has a way of taking those messes and turning them into a message. The one who will help pick up the cart off of us in due time. We read part of Isaiah 40, but for the 39 chapters preceding what we just read, Isaiah was reflecting on what caused the plight of God's people, why they were in exile, why the world was crumbling around them. And the reason that emerges more frequently than, than anything else is something that emerges and surfaces in, in the biblical canon in general. Paul talks about it a lot. Jesus addresses it, and Isaiah addresses it hundreds of years before either Paul or Jesus, and that is the notion of idolatry. Idolatry is extreme love or adoration or reverence for another person or an object or a state of mind, a state of being. Uh, the idols that we worship in this world, they consume our time, and they exhaust our energy, and they devour our financial resources. We do not have to look very far to find idols 
in the world today, the things which cut us off from God and, and from each other, because we, we can look at our calendars, and we can look at screen time updates. I get a screen report update every Sunday morning. I think that's God's sense of humor, that on Sunday morning, our day of worship, God is saying, Jay, you were 20% higher than last week, meaning I spent 20% less time with my God, maybe with my people and with my family. So we can look at our calendars and our screen time, our financial ledgers. They all tell a story. They say that where our treasure is, there our heart is too. Someone said that one time. Israel had turned its affection from Yahweh and it turned to the idols of this world and it broke God's heart and it jolted God's jealousy. But here's the thing about idolatry that we need to hear this season, of all seasons, the shopping season, also known as Advent. The one thing we often miss about idolatry is that it always moves God in the direction of compassion and intervention. Our waywardness always moves God in the direction of compassion and intervention. In ancient Israel and in Western Christianity, we, we suffer the consequences of our idolatry. God does not cut God's self off from us. We do that when we worship the kingdoms of this world. We do that. We, we cut ourselves off from God. Sid just came forward. We recognize Sid as a child of God and Christ's grace and is already at work in Sid's life. And, and the promise that was just made in, in Sid's life is one that's made by God, that God will never turn his back on Sid as much as we all turn our backs on our baptism. God will never turn his back on that child or on any of us. But when we find ourselves separated from God and from each other, we find ourselves in an advent, waiting, longing, hoping, expecting. Well, I was thinking this week, I was trying to come up with uh, an analogy for some modern forms of idolatry. That's such a loaded and off-putting word during this festive season. We just heard wonderful music and all of that, right? So I Googled. I Googled modern idolatry and the word idolatry, and after several textbook answers, I was kind of exhausted. So out of habit, I switched over to my social media feed. And it didn't take long before the first ad popped up of interest to me, and then the second ad popped up of interest to me, and then the third ad popped up. Uh, the first ad was for some low-top rain boots because I've discovered this past week that my furry-lined house slippers, they're not waterproof. I need some low-top rain boots. And then we were looking at dog collars because Lucy the Wonder Pup, she's eating too much and growing too quickly. So we're looking at dog collars. And then by the end of the week, we were out of coffee. So the third ad was for some coffee. Now, it's a little bit scary to know that the Matrix, the whatever it is, knew that I was looking for those things. It freaked me out a little bit. But I discovered that three ads on my phone, I didn't have to seek them out. They found me. But I'm not trying to beat up on social media efforts to keep me connected to my interests, but there is a great irony that as I am 
searching for idols, I have found myself in this web, this matrix web, these rabbit holes. I'm just chasing all of these interests, and the matrix knows Jay better than Jay knows Jay. And then it hit me. There it is. I've given in to my idols. I've cut myself off from time with God, time with people, time with God's word, time with and in the beloved community. And then it dawned on me that with this consumeristic structure I was building, not only was I in Babylonian exile, but I, I was all the way back in Egypt at that point building the pyramid for the pharaohs, enslaved to my consumerism. Advent is a warning coupled with a warm word of comfort. That's the message. And so Isaiah has this marvelous way of, of holding together time for us. Because for 39 chapters, we're thinking about exile and destruction and desolation and things in the past. And then in one word, one verse, it, it stops. And that word is comfort. And it changes the whole story. It changes the whole narrative. For 39 chapters, people are cut off, and then in one word, comfort my people, God says. And when that happens and the people listen, the future is made known. When God's people hear that God is trying to instigate compassion and to intervene in our messy lives, our overturned carts with love and forgiveness and with mercy, there is a way forward. There is an opportunity for the mountains of power to be brought low and for the valleys of the shadow of death to be raised up and for the crooked places all throughout life and all throughout our relationships to be made straight and for the rough places that provide a, a tough time where we can't quite get our footing. Those are made plain and smooth and we can stand uprightly again. And when that happens, friends, all flesh sees the glory of the Lord together. When we hear God's word of comfort, I'm coming. I'm coming for you. I'm coming to be with you. Our story changes. And a new voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We read this text in the light of Jesus the Messiah, the God who came down to earth to end all oppression and all waywardness. God who came down to, to earth to give us a perspective that light matters, that candles matter, because darkness will not last. The call of Advent, my friends, is to resist all of the idols that we wrap up for ourselves and we wrap ourselves in and, and then place in these mangers that we think are worthy of our, our praise. There is only but one object of our worship, one source of equality and compassion that deserves our adoration and our reverence and our love. And that is the Christ child for whom we wait, who is wrapped up in his mother's arms in bands of cloth and who will become so wrapped up in your life and in mine and who would later be so wrapped up in a different kind of linen so that salvation could be made available for all.
I, I'm a terrible gift wrapper. It's that time of year, too, you know. I'm just really bad at it. Susan said amen, I think. I can't get the folding just right. I use entirely too much scotch tape. It, it ends up looking more like abstract expressionistic art than it does a gift for someone that, that I love. But in the rare events that I'm wrapping something and not using the, the handbags this time, you know, I'm going to be offering a prayer, and I hope you'll join me. I hope you'll think about a God who has so much compassion and love for you and for this world, for our community and for our church, that God intervenes and is just so wrapped up in us and is asking us to be wrapped up in God and in one another. So I'm going to pray that as I make a feeble attempt to wrap some gifts this year. And I'm going to have this table in mind because in just a moment we'll unwrap some bread and be reminded of a God who can take something as ordinary as bread and juice and unwrap it and give it away to come down into our lives with some extraordinary grace. O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and wrap yourself in us once again. Amen.